Hello and welcome to another episode of the Silver Screen Scream Show. My name is Chris. It's nice talking to you again. I hope you guys are having an awesome week. This is the last Monday of July. Uh, This year has really flown by. This year, it seems like just a week ago I found out that I was going to be a dad. And I literally have a little, barely over a month left until my son is born. And that's just crazy. He might even come in August. I don't know. But this year has really flown by. Uh, today's episode is going to be a good one. Uh, it's going to be about urban legends that are around the tri-state area where I'm from. Uh, it can be it. It'll range from monsters, ghosts, aliens, and just some sort of unknown type phenomenon that has happened throughout the years. Uh, some of them. One of them is actually right in this hometown that I'm from. Uh, Some other ones are in West Virginia, Ohio, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, So we're going to have fun with that. Uh, I had fun researching this. I didn't read all of them. I did read like a brief passage of them. Um, But they're going to be good. So let's go ahead and get started here. Uh, The first one is actually exactly where I'm from. Uh, It's actually from the Paramount Arts Center in Ashland, Kentucky. Uh, This ghost is called Paramount Joe. And those that have, you know, that live around me, we've all heard of Paramount Joe. Uh, You know, I remember being in the first and second grade going on field trips to see plays. And Paramount Joe was definitely main talk about seeing a ghost. That place is haunted. And me and my friends and would always just look around trying to find Paramount Joe (laughs) and see where he's at. Um So let's go ahead and get started. I'm just going to read passages and where they're from. And I'll try to list the writer of these articles too. I don't know exactly if it shows who wrote this one, but we will uh, go ahead and get started and see what we can find. This is Paramount Joe from the Paramount Art Center. Uh, This is from the website Haunted Places. Uh, It starts off, originally called the Paramount Theater and opened in 1931. The Paramount Arts Center is said to be haunted by a ghost locals called Paramount Joe. According to Joe's legend, as the theater was being built, four workmen were in the auditorium. Three went to lunch, and when they came back, they found the fourth dead hanging from the curtain rigging. Joe is said to make himself known by cold drafts, missing objects, strange sounds, and the occasion and apparition. On occasion, an apparition. Uh, Folks at the center have many stories about Joe, one of which involves country star Billy Ray Cyrus, who filmed his Achy Breaky Heart video there. Uh, That's actually something new that I didn't know. I didn't know he recorded Achy Breaky Heart there. If you all don't know who Billy Ray Cyrus is, he's from that, uh, what is that song called that everyone listens to now? It's uh, it's that uh, Old Town Road, that rap song or whatever the heck it is, I have no idea. Um, but he filmed Aki Breaky Heart there. Billy Ray was said to have chatted with Joe and gotten his advice during breaks. When he left, Billy Ray gave autographed posters to all the female staff and also left one for Joe. All the posters were hung on the wall, as was the custom of the center. But as time went on and more and more autographed posters filled the wall, staff were asked to remove their Billy Ray, Billy Ray ones, since there were so many, all alike. Uh, None of the staff wanted to remove theirs, so instead they removed Joe's the next day. So the stories go, all of the other Billy Ray posters were strewn about the floor. 
many with their frames shattered as if someone wiped them all off the walls. Now Paramount Joe's Billy Ray poster hangs in a special place in the building in what is now Paramount Joe's Rising Star Cafe. Uh, if you have a paranormal experience here, blah, 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 they're just saying if you've had any experiences with uh, Paramount Joe, then to lift it, list it there. And it doesn't, I don't think it shows who wrote this one. Uh, let me see here. No, I can't find who was the author of this post. But, you know, if you ever read this, you know, if you listen to this podcast and you actually wrote this, let me know. I'd be happy to share your name. Uh, Paramount Joe is definitely, you know, I used to be kind of scared of it. Uh, growing up when I was in the first and second grade, it was definitely a good one. A uh, very good urban legend exactly from where I'm from. Uh, the second one is from Louisville, Kentucky. I found this at Atlas Obscura. Let's see if there's a writer here for this one. I do not want to get start without... Okay, it's contributed by Eric Grundhauser, edited by Kyle Tucker 523, I believe. Uh, as I said, it was on Atlas Obscura, and this is the Popelik Trestle Bridge, otherwise known as the Popelik Monster. This railroad overpass is said to be home to a murderous goat man whose very legend has led to very real deaths. Uh, let's see, it starts off saying, like it's part animal, part human, Brechens such as the Jer Jersey Devil and the Chupacabra, the public monster's origins, real or otherwise are unknown, but the deaths which have occurred at the bridge are well documented, usually thanks to thrill-seekers looking for the beast. The home of the public monster is said to be the Trestle Bridge on the Norfolk Southern Railway, which passes over the Popelik Creek in Kentucky. Supposedly, the monster has the body of a man and the lower torso of a goat or sheep. It is also said to have short horns protruding from its forehead. According to different reports, the goat man either uses hypnosis or some sort of siren voice to lure people onto the train tracks, where then where they are then run down by passing locomotives. In other stories, the goat man drops down onto passing cars from within the trestles. Of course, these are all just legends. However, the truth is, truth is that there have been a number of people who have scaled the eight-foot fence to meet their end or under the bridge while legend tripping, a pastime where amateur folklorists and monster hunters go in seek of their legends. Trains still rattle across the aging bridge and foolish trespassers have been known to be struck by the locomotives or fall off the bridge while climbing the trestles. Legends or not, the public monsters, the public monster may have claimed more lives than most myths. I find that really interesting. Uh, I actually would love to visit there. Hell no, I'm not going to get on the bridge because I'm not going to risk my life over something stupid that may not even be real. But it is an interesting thing that has been going around for many years about this monster. And if anyone, you know, if anyone's seen this bridge or heard stories of family members being near it, leave a comment down below. Uh, this Louisville is only a little over two and a half hours away from where I'm from. So I thought that was pretty interesting. The third one is America's most haunted honky tonk, which is the Babby Mackey's music world. Uh, this one is from, I don't know what website it's from, I think it's from Strange But True, 
Let's see who wrote this one here. This one's kind of a long one. Well, it says written by Strange But True. It doesn't exactly have a writer. Uh, no, it doesn't. This one was pretty interesting, though. I'll go ahead and start with this one. There are places which can be called as haunted, but there are some places which, which are hell itself. This is one of those places which is a direct portal to hell, conjured into being by the blood that has been spilled within its dark depths over the years. Bobby Mackey's Music World is a shady, smoky dive bar and nightclub with a mechanical bull, line dancing floor, and a portal to hell located in Wilder, Kentucky, United States, owned by Bobby Mackey, a traditional country singer. He was never a big star, but he had put out a few country albums over the years. He bought this place so that he would always have a place to play his music for an audience. He had a grand opening for this establishment in September 1978, but the nightclub soon became known more than just the music. Strange things started happening soon after it opened, so much so that the slogan for the place became, Come for the ghosts, stay for the music. I guess he would have chosen a completely different location for his audience to listen to his live music if he had known more about the property and its dark history of murder, suicide, and rumors of human sacrifice. Sitting along the east bank of Licking River, the land had been used for centuries by Native Americans who fought bloody battles over the rich and fertile land. When white settlers came in the 1700s, the area came to be called Leech's Station. But by the 1800s, it was renamed Wilder after the railroad station that was built nearby. Once connected to the vast railway network, the small farming and manufacturing town grew and prospered. Every good ghost story comes with its own origin, and Bobby Mackey's music world is no different. In 1850, the land that now belongs to Mackey's was home to a huge slaughterhouse that supplied most of the northwestern Kentucky and Cincinnati with beef. Back in those days, things weren't really on the up and up, so instead of dispensing the blood, guts, bones, and cartilage proper, properly, they dumped them into a well in the basement. The well fed out into the nearby river, turning the clear waters red with each new blood dump. Thus, we can easily call it the most epic sacrificial pit on this planet. For unknown reasons, well shit, it just blocked out a lot of stuff from where I printed it off. It shows my email in it. I'll go ahead and skip a little bit of it, but for obvious reasons, the procedure went very wrong, and after Pearl died, they removed their head with the hopes of throwing the police off the chase, but they were soon caught and sentenced to death. Man, I really wish this showed more information on it. Uh, I was talking about someone dying, I guess. Um... I'll go ahead and get to more facts about it. Local lore also has it that the two men threw Pearl's head in the basement while as part of an occasional occult ritual and in doing so created the portal to hell that Mackey's World later became famous for. For years, the building sat abandoned until the 1920s when the slaughterhouse was tore down and a roadhouse was built in its place. During Prohibition, it became a secret bar and casino called the Primrose, it became so popular, Cincinnati mobsters came sniffing around to muscle in on the booming business, and when the owner, Buck Brady, refused to sell the building, the staff saw their fair share of threats, fights, and attempted murders. So he sold up and moved to Florida. By the 1950s, the building was transformed again, and when it became a nightclub called the Latin Quarter, it was during this period of the building's history that Mackey's most famous ghost joined the roster of spirits said to haunt the establishment.
and of course it blocks more. Uh, by ne 1978, the building has been witness to every form of death imaginable on a constant basis. So when Bobby Mackey bought the building and turned it into a music hall, strange happenings began, began occurring. Bobby's wife was attacked by an unseen entity. Contractors hired to renovate the venue were slapped, scratched, uh, scratched and growled at. Grown men have been thrown across the room. A woman dressed in white is said to have appeared in the parking lot before suddenly vanishing into thin air. There have been numerous sightings of the headless spirit of uh, Pearl Bryman and Johanna is well known to sing along to the music. Furniture moves around on its own and the sound of banging and nightmarish screams echo from the walls. However, for all the paranormal phenomenon that Mackey's is world most famous for, it is the activity that takes place in the basement that most have come to fear. People refuse to even be in the area of the well because it has such a strange effect on them. A mysterious cowboy lurks in the basement and deep growls emanate from the well, leading some to claim that it is direct portal to hell itself. Though many people refuse to believe in all such claims because investigations have failed to find public records of any such events and research into property records, newspapers, and court files are, I guess, not seen because it shows that it's blocked again by my email. Um, we'll go ahead and skip, though, to that. It says, The crew even claimed that the divorce of one of their crew member was directly linked to Bobby Mackey's music world and its after effects. Whether the stories, the claims, the hauntings are true or not, this sounds like a bar you would like to visit or the perfect place for a future ghost hunt. They do offer nightly tours throughout the entire building, including the basement for those brave enough to tell the hellish legends for themselves. Just don't go near the well. Invisible hands are known to push curious tourists towards the well edge, and you may find yourself added to the long list of the otherworldly patrons at America's most haunted honky-tonk. That's strange. That is very strange. Uh, that is a very weird story uh, from Kentucky. Uh, it's very interesting. I wish I would have been able to read most of it, but my stupid fucking email was in the way of that. Uh, but we'll go ahead and go on to the next one, which is based in Louisville, I believe. Louisville, Kentucky again. This is The Headless Woman of Iroquois Park. This is written by Jay Gravate, I believe. I apologize if I mispronounce your name wrong if you ever listen to this. Uh, it says, Iroquois Park is a 739-acre park in Louisville, Kentucky. It was designed by Frederick Law Cherokee and Shawnee Parks at what were then the edges of the city. Located south of downtown, Iroquois Park was promoted as Louisville's version of Yellowstone, being incorporated in 1888. The park is made up of a knob rising 250 feet, covered with old-growth forests, the park most... Okay, the park's most prominent feature is a scenic viewpoint atop the hill, known to many as the lookout point. However, as you hike Iroquois Park's winding trails on the serene, crisp night, you might start to notice the sound of a dog barking wildly. Then a thick fog will roll in, roll in from nowhere, partially obstructing your vision. It's then that you smell it. The stench of smoke and fire begins to rise in the air. The fog breaks momentarily, and it's then that you notice a figure approaching. By most accounts of her, she appears dressed in an early 1800s settlement clothes, and as she walks through the park, you can see her holding her head in her hands as blood drips from her severed neck. This tale has been passed for years, from one generation to the next. Each telling, no doubt, makes it that much more gruesome. It is said that she is regularly seen, particularly 
close to Lookout Point. Many also wonder how she came to spend eternity roaming the moonlit paths that encompass the park. Some suspect that she is the ghost of a farmer's wife who settled with her husband in the area where the park is now located. As the story goes, one night while her husband was downtown on business, an Indian tribe attempted to sneak up on the homestead and ransack it. They first silenced the family dog by slitting its throat. They then rushed into the house and caught the woman's unawares, the woman unawares. Grabbing her as she screamed, they beheaded her and left her for dead. The Indians promptly set fire to the house in an attempt to cover up what they had done. Is the headless ghost that very woman? Is she seeking justice for her murder at the hands of the Indians? I would, however, not recommend taking that late-night stroll through Iroquois Park. Numerous unsolved murders have taken place with its boundaries over the last serial killer, uh, Baroy Simmons was convicted of three counts of murder and rape and four counts of kidnapping from the early 1980s. Simmons would abduct white females at gunpoint, rape them, and then shoot them. An intended 16-year-old victim finally escaped and identified Simmons, putting an end to his murder spree. Simmons, who is African-American, was sentenced to the electric chair for kidnapping and murdering the three women. After the murders, he dumped them in Iroquois Park. The murder victims were Robin Barnes, 15, Shannon House, 29, and Nancy Bettman, 39. In 2002, Michael Holloway, a former Pleasure Ridges Park High School basketball star, was charged with kidnapping and murdering Stacy Flowers Dotson, 25, in 2001. He then dumped her body in Iroquois Park. The two reportedly met over the internet. Afterwards, she began to drive to Louisville to see him. He kidnapped her at gunpoint on June 30, 2001. He then drove her around in the trunk of his car before taking her to Iroquois Park, where he shot her and took her money, purse, and car. On December 21st of 2002, he received a life sentence for the murder and kidnapping. Let's see here. Uh, Linwood Montel's book, Ghost Across Kentucky, is an anthology book containing personal accounts of dealings with the paranormal. In the book, there is a story that recounts an encounter a man had with the headless lady while traveling through the park late one morning. So remember, when searching out legends, be cautious. It's not always what you might run into, but who? That's spooky. That is very interesting. That is also based in Louisville, Kentucky. And I got this from... What website did I get this from? It doesn't show. Uh, if you just type in the Louisville Ghost Hunters Society... I'm sure that's the website, but that is very interesting, uh, really good legend, uh, I would hate to run into a headless fucking woman, that would be terrifying. This one, this next one is actually awesome, I did read quite a bit of this one, uh, this one is the Goblins of Hopkinsville. On the evening of August 21st, 1955, Five adults and seven children visited the Hopkinsville, Kentucky police station with a strange story. Among those 12 people were brothers Elmer and John Sutton, as well as O.P. Baker, who are pictured, which shows a little picture of them. Uh, the group reported they had witnessed a flying saucer land near the farmhouse where they were staying the night. Little men surrounded the house, peering at the frightened families as they attempted to gain entry. John Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor claimed to have fought off the men with a shotgun and a pistol for several hours before leaving to notify the police. The little men they reported were shot monkey-like with long arms and webbed hands with talons, large bright offset eyes, and pointed ears. 
the sketch by Evansville Press artist Larry Heal appeared in the newspaper along with the first reports of the supposed sighting, which I do not have a picture of that. I wish I could see it because I'm sure that's pretty fucking weird. But it says Hopkinsville police investigated the incident. They found no tri- no tracks or markings outside of the home, only the evidence of gunshots fired from the inside. Another officer reported seeing a meteor shower in the area, but no flying saucer. Media quickly spread the strange news of the Hopkinsville goblins or little men. Reporting about this incident helped to popularize the term little green men as a generic term used for aliens, although the color green was not mentioned in the group's original interviews. Not everyone believed the attacker were spacemen. Alternative explanations from the time suggested test flight monkeys used in rocket experiments crashed in the area and in a notable tongue-in-cheek explanation found in the Senate Republican memo published by the Senate GOP Policy Committee that the visitors were simply Democrats turned green with envy at the popularity of President Dwight Eisenhower. The incident is now commonly explained as either an elaborate hoax or perhaps more charitably charitably, that the group shocked by the meteor shower in a state of panic and likely intoxicated confused a pair of aggressive great horned owls which are common in the area as an extraterrestrial menace. Local and national news coverage of the goblins caused a wave of copycat sightings in the area. A group of Evansville teenagers reported seeing 10 of the creatures in the athletic field of Lincoln High School. The creatures, they said, lopped off into the darkness after the teens began lobbing rocks at them. Oh, wait, here's a picture. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty weird. It looks like sort of looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Like, it just looks like a fucking fish with legs and arms, in a way. Just a normal-type goblin, I guess. Uh, Darwin Johnson had previously reported being grabbed and pulled underwater by a lizard man while swimming in the Ohio River near Dogtown on August 14th in an attack that bore a remarkable similarity to a scene from the creature from the Black Lagoon. Hmm, that's ironic. I didn't read this before that. Uh, released a year earlier. After the reports of the little men in Hopkinsville, Johnson amended him story, reporting she and other members of him group had seen a flying saucer shortly before swimming. Although they had failed to mention it in their earlier interviews, she now claimed him attacker must have been the same creatures who terrorized the families in Hopkinsville on their way to the bluegrass state. So that is interesting. That is really fucking weird. Uh, the picture is really fucking weird. I guess someone, it was a sketch by Evansville Press of the reported Hopkinsville Goblin. Has pointy ears, uh, long arms, webbed hands, skinny, has weird little scale type things on their shoulders. But that is the Hopkinsville Goblins. And that's that. We have another one which is Kentucky's Sleepy Hollow, which I'm surprised is not based off the legend of the Sleepy Hollow, but it is a different Sleepy Hollow. Uh, This is written by Brent Owen on Kentucky Monthly. And it starts off saying, Is that the wind? The trailing cry of a baby? The wailing of a mournful mother full of regret? These are thoughts that might pass through your mind as you make the winding tree-lined drive that is Sleepy Hollow Road in Oldham County. 
It's a two-mile curvy stretch of road that is steeped in so much lore your hearts can't help but race as you round every turn in full anticipation that you are about to become your very own urban legend. On nights when Sleepy Hollow Road is not the backdrop of your worst nightmares, it's just a two-lane country road where, where high school kids might joyride. Most people who have had encounters in the hollow still speak fondly of youthful memories cruising the stretch, and while everyone I spoke with had his or her own legend experience of Sleepy Hollow, no one really seemed too scared to return. Instead, the feelings seemed more tragic than terrifying. That said, when I approached the hollow one night in August, it was after dark and I was alone. Heat lightning silently lit a canopy of clouds to an ominous, ominous purple hue. As I drove toward the hollow, the light of outstretched urban sprawl faded in my rearview mirror. A total darkness encompassed everything. I began descending into the hollow with nothing to guide me but my headlights. The thick veil of bone-chilling blackness filled the rearview mirror. The road curves a lot through the hollow. Each curve is a completely blind turn, any one of which, taken individually and put on any other road in the world, could even earn the nickname. Dead Man's Curve is what the name is, especially when you factor in the 30-foot drop-off to the hollow floor. At the bottom, in the lowest, darkest depths of the sleepy hollow road, a bridge crosses Herod's Creek. A good-sized tributary of the nearby Ohio River, from the bridge the road ascends, refreshingly leading you back out of the hollow. And when you come out of the hollow, you find yourself well removed from the urban sprawl on the other side. You are on a two-lane country back road beneath the famous blue moon of Kentucky in a sky filled with stars, their glow unabated by the light pollution of nearby Louisville. It's a breath of fresh air compared with the dark through which you've just passed. Huh. And it continues all on saying, let's start with the broad strokes and most common legends that surrounded this stretch of road. First, and perhaps the hardest for me to accept, is the infamous hearse that allegedly barrels down on cars from behind and forces them off the road and into the hollow below. While this story is the best known, it appears to me to be the most far-fetched. Should I believe that not only does a vehicle have a spirit that it can conjure at will, but also that in inanimate objects such as a car even as has will to begin with in addition that would be intelligent enough to have an arbitrary mission like pointlessly running off cars off the road it would seem that if i were to believe a car has a conjurable spirit it would be oblivious to its surroundings and were it to pull up close to cars in the hollow it most likely would be because the spirit of an inanimate object would be unaware of its surroundings not because it was purposely trying to hurt anyone but that's just me overanalyzing urban mythology, I suppose. I'm not a skeptic when it comes to the supernatural. However, I need more proof before I can say without a doubt the spirit realm exists. So I'm not here to preach or try to disprove the mythos of Sleepy Hollow Road. In fact, I kind of love the various stories that have struck to this relatively short stretch of road. Perhaps the most chilling and the one I find most compelling and even the most likely to believe is also the story I would most hate to believe, and that is about the bridge that crosses Herod's Creek at the bottom of the hollow. The bridge is known as Crybaby Bridge. Today is an unassuming crossing of concrete and steel, but for many years, an old covered bridge stood there. It was there at Crybaby Ridge where, according to legend, mothers would throw deformed children or products of incest or bastards or, if she was a slave, her owner's child that she had given birth to into the water below to be washed out to the Ohio River. 
which is crazy. It's a horrific image to have in your brain how desperate a mother would be to fool compelled to toss her own baby from a bridge. Perhaps it speaks to the time how poor would the quality of life be for such children that their mother would rather end their lives than subject them to a lifetime of being ostracized and or enduring servitude. Many travelers have claimed that if you stop at the bottom, which I would not recommend since there's no shoulder to pull over onto or pass through with your windows down, you can sometimes hear crying babies calling out for their mothers or despondent mothers mourning the loss of their children or even the splash of a cherubic body hitting the cold water beneath the bridge. There's a folk song that early settlers of the area brought with them from England that has become inextricably tied to a crybaby bridge over the rolling procession of generations called A Cruel Mother. It relates the tale of a mother who is preparing to be married but gets pregnant by another man. When her child is born, she kills him immediately and then proceeds to the church for the wedding. The song features such heartbreaking lyrics as, O oh mother dear, when we were thine, how ye took a little penknife and ye parted us in our sweet life. Other common stories have involved Devil's Point, a location in the hollows that was the site of alleged satanic rituals during the late 1970s and early 80s. There also have been multiple sightings of a soldier on horseback up on the ridge. Some have mentioned lights flying beside their car or moving through the trees, while others have even claimed the pass is a time warp where they may enter the hollow at a certain time, and after what seems like a five-minute trip through the pass, come out on the other side and discover that hours have gone by. However, it seems to me this could be related to kids on joy rides under the influence of mind-altering substances more than any supernatural phenomenon. Uh, so that's that. That is, uh, I mean, there's a little bit more to explain about that, but those are the main, like, stories of the Sleepy Hollow of Kentucky. Uh, like I said, this was written by Brent Owen. Seems to me like he's not really into the whole paranormal mess, uh, which, you know, I don't blame him. If he hasn't seen it for himself, you know, who would? I personally haven't seen any, anything really strange or paranormal, I wouldn't think. But this is really interesting because there's another urban legend called the Crybaby Bridge that I printed off that may be the same bridge that they're talking about that's close to Kentucky Sleepy Hollow. So maybe uh, we'll get the same story there because uh, this is by the Ohio River and I believe the story of Crybaby Bridge, the one in Ohio, is in close to the Ohio River. Um, the next one is in West Virginia and if you haven't heard about this one, it is in the video game uh, Fallout 76 and it's the story of the Mothman which is the legendary creature that terrorized a West Virginia town in the 1960s. I think I'm about an hour and a half away from this place. Uh, it was written by Chrissy Howard. And this is a literally one of the creepiest folk legends in American history. So if you haven't heard anything about it, I'm going to you know explain a little bit of it to you. But if you have, uh, you know, enjoy the ride, because this one is a good one. Um... On November 12, 1966, in Clinton, in West Virginia, five gravediggers working in a cemetery noticed something that they described as a brown human being that flew over their heads, gliding from tree to tree. This was the first celebrated by the town it once terrorized, remains as mysterious as it was on the night that a few frightened witnesses first laid eyes on it. 
Just three days after that initial report in nearby Point Pleasant, West Virginia, two couples noticed a white-winged creature about six or seven feet tall standing in front of the car they were all seated in. Eyewitnesses Roger Scarberry and Steve Mallett told the local paper, the Point Pleasant Register, that the beast had bright red eyes about six inches apart, a wingspan of ten feet, and that it seemed to want to avoid the bright headlights of the car, likening it to a moth. According to the witnesses, the Mothman was able to fly at speeds greater than 100 miles per hour, although he did make for a clumsy runner, all of which was witnessed after the creature allegedly chased their moving vehicle to the outskirts of town. Knowing how absurd this must have sounded to a local paper in a small Appalachian community in the 1960s, Scarberry insisted that the apparition couldn't have been a figment of his imagination, assuring the paper that if I had seen it while by myself, I would have said any. I, wouldn't have said anything, but there were four of us who saw it. Sightings in the short span of three days following the first claims, including two volunteer firefighters who supposedly saw what they described as a very large bird with large red eyes. One sighting reported by Salem, West Virginia resident Newell Patridge told the strange patterns that appeared on his television screen one evening, followed by a strange sound that just outside of his home, shining a flashlight toward the direction of the noise, Patriot supposedly witnessed two red eyes resembling bicycle reflectors looking back at him. This anecdote remains a popular one in the Mothman mythos, especially because it resulted in the disappearance of Partridge's dog, supposedly to the grips of the fearsome beast. However, Dr. Robert L. Smith, associate professor of wildlife biology at West Virginia University, dismissed the notion that a flying monster was sticking out of the town, instead attributing the sightings to a sandhill crane, which stands almost as tall as the average adult man and bears reddish flesh around its eyes. Additional Point Pleasant legend states that the creation of the Mothman was nothing more than the work of one very committed prankster who went so far as to hide in the abandoned World War II munitions plant that the creature was spotted near. Nevertheless, national press ran with the story spreading it across the country and causing somewhat of a sensation. In 1975, author John Keel conflated supernatural events and other disasters with the Mothman sightings, as well as the reported UFO activity to create his book, The Mothman Prophecies, which inspired the 2002 movie of the same name. Keel even went so far as to connect the creature to the collapse of the Silver Bridge on December 15th of 1967, which resulted in the deaths of 46 people. Uh, it said, despite the official reason for the structure's demise, failed welding. So, that's interesting. Of 1986, the Mexican swine flu outbreak of 2009 and the 2011 nuclear disaster in Fukushima, Japan, among others. The Mothman also bears a striking resemblance to several demon archetypes found among those who have experienced sleep paralysis, perhaps suggesting that the visions are nothing more than the embodiment of humanity's greatest fears pulled from the depths of the collective unconscious the mothman can still be seen in point pleasant's west virginia today in the form of a historical museum open seven days a week and also as a 12 foot tall chrome polished statue complete with a massive steel wings and ruby red eyes a festival commemorating the Mothman's visits had taken place every year for the past 16, with the next one scheduled to take place on September 16th and 17th of 2017. And that, you know, I learned about this Mothman when I was in 
eighth grade, I believe. And it was a very freaky story. It was definitely interesting. I was looking it up a lot when I was younger. It's definitely uh, one of those weirder stories. Um, apparently, I've heard that the Mothman has traveled different areas. But Point Pleasant was, you know, the main area that he was sighted in. Uh, so, if, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I really do believe that from the research that I've seen. And uh, we'll just end that one with that. Uh, the legend of the Flatwoods Monster in West Virginia is next. And it also has a UFO it flew on. So that's interesting. This was written by Gina DeMuro. And it says, The Flatwoods Monster was discovered after a group went into the woods to investigate an oval-shaped ball of fire they saw overhead. Inside the cement tube... No, that's different. That is part of a... Uh, advertisement uh this picture is really weird it looks like it has a leaf on its head and really long arms it has like a dress it's really strange looking uh the printer uh printed it in black and white so i don't know what color it is but on september 12th 1952 witnesses reported seeing strange flying objects in over a hundred locations throughout the united states from Pennsylvania to California, the following day's newspaper featured eyewitnesses' accounts of everything from strange, fast-moving streaks of light to full-blown flying saucers coasting close to the ground. 11-year-old Freddie Mae was playing in a schoolyard in the tiny town of Flatwoods, West Virginia, that night in September when one of his companions suddenly gave a shout that turned all of the children's attention to the sky. They then saw an oval-shaped ball of fire soar closely over their heads that was emitting a trail of flames. As the group of boys watched the strange object descend onto a nearby mountaintop, one of them shouted excitedly, It's a flying saucer. Several other Flatwoods residents would describe seeing a flat kind of aircraft emitting orange and red colors descend over the same area the school children reported, which was one near a local farm. May, May and his friends sprinted home to tell their parents what they had seen, and together with Freddie's mother, neighbor Eugene Lemon, and Lemon's dog, they went over to the farm to investigate. As the group grew closer to where they thought the strange object had landed, they began to detect a strange sulfur-like odor that began to make everyone feel slightly sick. In addition, a strange mist began to rise around them, and they heard a steady metallic whining noise. At one point, Lemon's dog, with its hair raised, abruptly froze and then dashed off into the mist. Lemon and the others ran after the dog where they found it barking near a wooden fence. Although they wanted to keep moving forward, the dog refused to take another step. As they pushed forward, the smell, odor, and noise became stronger and stronger. Suddenly, Lemon noticed a pair of eyes staring at him from, a dark, from the dark at about eye level. He threw his flashlight onto the spot where he assumed he would see a possum. Instead, what they saw in the shadows would haunt them forever. The creature that would become known as the Flatwoods Monster, or the Braxton County Monster, was described by the witnesses as a 10-foot monster with a blood-red face and a green body that seemed to glow. They also claimed that the creature's eyes projected beams of light that lit up the whole strange oily substance. The frightened group hightailed it back to town where they immediately called the sheriff and local newspaper. The sheriff and his deputy, who had come from investigating reports of a plane crash, went up to the mountaintop location but neither saw nor smelled anything. Several other locals would later report having seen the strange aircraft 
separately from May and Lemon's group and many of the people who claimed to come into contact with the strange creature. They reported that over the next several days they were overcome with sickness, which believers think might have been related to inhaling the strange mist. And then it says, so is there, there is a logical explanation for what May and the group described seeing in the mountains of West Virginia one September night in 1952. Skeptics are quick to point out that the most of the other locals did indeed see the flaming streak in the sky, but were unfazed because they realized it was for what it was, a meteor. Indeed, most of the boys in the schoolyard has also first assumed the object that flew above them toward the mountain was a meteor. And uh, that's that. You know, they just went on basically saying that it was just a meteor shower or a large meteor that crashed in to Flatwoods. And uh, but there was a few others that have actually said that they've seen the creature. And uh, that's the Flatwoods monster. Uh, that one was also a really interesting one. I believe that one was actually on the History Channel uh, when they talked about it. Uh, I can't remember the TV show it was on. But I would recommend looking into that. And let's see here. There's another one that I thought was really interesting. Uh, there's a couple here that I just won't interest, like, even mention because they're really not that big of a deal. Uh, this one is called Helltown, Ohio. And this one is really interesting. Uh, this one was written by Gina DeMuro. I believe also wrote another one. Excuse me. Um, it says, Welcome to Helltown, Ohio, the abandoned city in Cuyahoga Valley that fuels local urban legends about a chemical spill and murderous Satanists, which would be pretty crazy. In the Cuyahoga Valley in Ohio, there is an eerily deserted place known as Helltown. Unlike the ghost towns of the West, this Midwestern area is particularly unique because it doesn't look all that old. Although some buildings bear the features of early America, the rest are distinctly 20th century. Uh, the clear no trespassing signs posted throughout the town are certainly modern and official. Uh, there's not a soul to be found in this place, but there are still remnants of the lives the former residents left behind, including an abandoned school bus. The town is surrounded by dangerous roads that seemingly led to nowhere, but it is the church that seems to have inspired its ominous name. The white building in the center of Helltown is emblazoned with upside-down crosses. Uh, the locals all have their theories. Some say the church was a place of worship for the Satanists who populated Helltown, some of whom they say still lurk around the closed-off roads, hoping to ensnare unwitting visitors. That's fucked up. Others say the town was evacuated by the government after a toxic chemical spill that resulted in bizarre mutations in the local residents and animals, with the most deadly being the Peninsula Python, a snake that grew to enormous, enormous size and still slithers near the abandoned town. That's fucked up. I'd have to look into that because I don't know anything about that. Even the old school bus is the center of a dark legend. Supposedly, the children it carried were slaughtered by an insane killer or in some versions of the story by a group of Satanists. The superstitious claim that if you peer through the vehicle's windows, you can see either the ghost of the killer or his victim still sitting inside. Helltown, Ohio is in fact an abandoned town whose deserted buildings provide plenty of fodder for creepy photos, or at least they did until they were all torn down in 2016. While what really happened to the town's residents is quite disturbing, disturbing in its own way, most of the urban legends have rather mundane explanations. 
The church does in fact bear upside down crosses, but they're a fairly common feature of the Gothic revival style in which it was constructed. Ghost hunters may have actually gotten a terrifying glimpse of a man or children inside the old school bus. However, they were not the spirits of murder victims forever trapped in limbo, but rather a man and his family who temporarily lived there while their house was being renovated. There's still some local debate about whether the chemical spill actually happened, but the lack of hard proof regarding the peninsula python has not stopped locals from celebrating Python Day. Even Helltown's spooky name is the result of rather than the source of all these urban legends, Helltown is actually just a nickname for a part of Boston Township in Summit County, Ohio. The residents of the area were indeed forced to abandon their homes by the federal government, but not because of a chemical chemical spill or supernatural cover-up. With national concerns about deforestation in full swing, in 1974, President Gerald Ford approved legislation that allowed the National Park Service the power to expropriate land, theoretically, to preserve forests. While the idea behind the bill may have been good-intentioned, it was bad news for residents living in the areas designated by the National Park Service for new new parks. Uh, The area that is now dubbed Helltown was earmarked for the new Cuyahoga Valley National Park, and the people living there had no choice but to sell their properties to the government. One disgruntled mover scrawled his own gloomy epithet on the wall. Now we know how the Indians felt. And that's that. That's the story of Helltown in Ohio. And if everything wasn't tore down, I would take my happy ass there to visit it because that is... Interesting. And, you know, Ohio is right next to me. I can drive down there. I'm sure it'll take a few hours. But, I mean, that's an interesting story. Uh, Plenty of different urban legends built around one town, Chemical Leak. Uh, That's the first time I read about the python. Uh, I'd love to look into that and see how big that fucking snake is, if there's any pictures of it. And uh, let me know what you think of that one. And then the last last one is the Ohio Screaming Bridge which is uh, on, it says, the Egypt Road, Crybaby Bridge. Uh, It's located in Salem near the Mahoning County line. Uh, I don't know for sure if it's located near the Ohio River, but reading about the Crybaby Bridge, I mean, you kind of get the picture that it is uh, where women, you know, toss their babies into the water to die. So I'm not really going to go over that one. So that was the last urban legend that I will be discussing today. Let me know what you think of them. Uh, Personally, my favorite ones are Helltown. Loved Helltown. Um, And I loved the Mothman. Uh, Whether the Mothman is real or not, I'll never know. Uh, I might know. Maybe he'll fly by my house or something. But, uh, you know, those are my favorite ones. Sadly, they are not from Kentucky. Uh, Paramount Joe is awesome. I've known that since first grade. And there's a few other legends that are based in Kentucky. I've heard of one in uh, Louisa, which is about a 30-minute drive from where I'm from, that there is a dog face lady. I couldn't find any stories or anything about that online, but I've heard many people talk about the dog face lady. Uh... And I don't really know much about it. I just know it's a lady with, you know, a dog's face that stands out 
and people see her. I don't know if it harms anyone or not, but I've seen, I've heard a few people went to the hospital claiming that they've seen the dog face lady. So that's interesting. If you know anything about the dog face lady, send me a link, tell me the story because I have no idea. But this is all the urban legends I'm going to be talking about today. Let me know how you think of them. Uh, Send me a message about urban legends that you know about in the area you're from or that you've heard about that you would like to visit. And uh, we will talk next time. Uh, This is Chris. This is the Silver Screen Scream Show. And it's nice talking to you again.